Hello, I'm Martin. And I'm Angelina. And this is the CX Cast. Today, we welcome to the CX Cast a returning guest, Tamar Hassan, VP Principal Analyst at Forrester, and brand new guest. Tamar's fellow country person, but currently living in London, Melissa Chaudet, who is our researcher. We're going to talk today about our new green segmentation. We're going to learn some insights around green consumers and how things are changing. So let's start with the green segmentation. It's kind of obvious what it is, but explain what it is and how we came up with it and why it's a bit different from the one we had in the past. Yeah, sure. Hello, everyone. This is Tamar. So first of all, let me explain why it is more important than ever to understand consumers' behaviors and attitudes towards environmental sustainability. I think there are two main reasons for that. First of all, we are entering the green market revolution, as Forrester has published recently, and it's an industrial revolution on par with the previous one in the 19th and 18th century. And it will change everything we do from you know what we eat to how we move to how we plug in and, and many things in our daily lives. Secondly, consumers will have to change their behaviors by force because of the evolution of the regulation or by choice. When we've discussed with a lot of different brands, it seems like not many of them had used environmental sustainability as a variable to their segmentation, and not that many of them have green segmentation in place. So that's the reason why. Now, in terms of the whole, we had a segmentation in place, but we've evolved it to recognize behavioral statements. The fact that there is a say-do gap when it comes to environmental issues. Many consumers, for example, report that they care about the environment. But at the end of the day, what are their real behaviors? Are they ready to pay a premium for sustainable products? Do they really pay a premium for these products? And what kind of behaviors do they have? So that's why we've evolved our segmentation. It's a global one. Happy to walk you through some of the changes we've made and the attributes we've used to measure the different segments. So you're adding in what people do dimensions, like are they prepared to pay a premium? Are they making convenience-driven choices? That tangible thing that brands can take action on. Exactly, yes. So basically, we've looked at different questions, different attributes to create these segments. The first point is, do they regularly seek out information before making purchases and buying green products from different brands? Secondly, do they actually purchase such products? And what are the factors driving their purchase? To your point, is it about convenience? Is it about cost? And to what extent is the environment a primary or a secondary factor after price and convenience? And that's what basically we've come down with four different segments. Where is this data coming from exactly? How do you even get your hands around different countries and different changes in behavior? So this is a global data that we've collected across a number of different countries. The U.S., obviously, seven European countries, the five largest European economies, plus Sweden and the Dutch market. We've also looked at Australia, and we've got some data for metropolitan India and metropolitan China. And are you seeing variants, similarities across these countries? Yes, definitely. There is no no one-size-fits-all, even among the same generation, among the same country. But still, we came up with four main segments that demonstrated consistent behaviors and attitudes. 
Yeah, so the first segment are what we call the non-greens. This segment has little concern about the impact of climate change on society. They don't really consider themselves environmentally conscious. And for them, price always comes first. You're probably wondering what percentage of consumers are falling into this segment. There is interesting differences between Europe and the US. So on average in Europe, 14% of respondents are non-green, whereas in the US, the percentage rises to 23%. So that's our first segment. Then we've got a second segment called the dormant greens, and I like to call them a bit the lazy greens. <laughs> they are concerned about the impact of climate change on society, but they tend on the one hand to value, you know, all the purchase criteria over sustainability. And also they are not really going the extra mile to embrace green behaviors. They are not particularly interested in learning more. The good news is they've got great potential to be persuaded once they become aware. In Europe and in the US, this segment represents around 35% of consumers. Moving on to the third segment, it's the convenient greens. Again, they care a lot about climate change. They want to do what's best for the environment, but they also value convenience and price over being environmentally friendly. And to go back to what Thomas said earlier, I think this segment is most likely to experience this say-do gap. So for example, 69% of our convenient greens in Europe prioritize convenience over sustainability and 61% prioritize cost. When we look a bit deeper into this segment, we find that it encompasses consumers who are full-time employed with young children most of the time. And finally, the last segment, it's what we call the active greens. They are the most environmentally conscious, they choose eco-friendly products over low price or convenience, and they are really paying close attention to how companies impact the environment. And it represents around one quarter of consumers in Europe and a 17% in the US. We're on video as we record this. You can't see us at home. But I'm sitting here looking at Angelina wearing her Patagonia fleece. So she's clearly cold. So she's clearly made a choice not to put the heating on. And she's paid a premium for her product. So I think we can kind of work out what category you sit into. Do you <laughs> want to respond to that? Well, I was also thinking there's obviously still people that just don't care about the environment that have the money to spend. Was there a reason to not focus on that segment? Was that a lost cause? So interesting, there is a, a direct correlation between willingness to pay and the different behaviors that have been expressed so far. Active Greens are clearly the ones who are the most willing to pay a premium for products. Having said that, this say-do gap is still important in the context of a, a significant inflation across the different geographies. And even if people say they will pay, at the end of the day, only a minority does. What is really, I think, important to understand is that even for convenient greens or dormant greens, even if convenience or cost are a more important factor, it doesn't mean that they're not frustrated about the fact that they can't afford to purchase greener products. And so they will also demand from brands to be creative, to rethink their value chain so that they can get products for the same value for money or that they can, for example, be able to buy secondhand products. This category is getting a lot of traction, especially in Europe with fashion brands and different kinds of brands, because the number one driver is that it's one way to get cheaper products and also to contribute to the environment. 
adding up to your point, Thomas, some of the interesting data we found in our analysis is around the emotions that consumers feel. You mentioned frustration. Some emotions are more typical to active grains, for instance, such as guilt or shame, which dormant grain don't feel as much than frustration. So I think that's also very interesting to look at emotions when it comes to embracing or not these environmental behaviors. So I'm kind of curious as well, almost at the opposite end of the scale from what Angelina asked about, like the don't tell me anything about green. Did you identify any consumers that are proactive or like evangelistic and will go out and sell the message and try and convince other people to come with them? Or do they fall within the active category? They would fall primarily within the active greens category. When you look at the kind of actions that people take when they see companies communicate about their sustainability efforts, some of them are pretty vocal on social network, willing to share this with their friends and families. And when companies don't, they're ready to boycott a product or to simply churn and buy from another brand. And I think this is within this category that you see this more sort of extreme kind of behaviors. The reality among non-greens is that they, to put it simply, they're not necessarily aware of it, or if they are, they don't care about it, which makes it very polarized segments. And we also see interesting differences in terms of generations and how each generation engages with sustainable brands. So looking at Gen Z and millennials, for instance, they might not be the most active greens compared to older generations, like Gen X, for instance, just because, you know, as we mentioned, young employed with young children, they've got other priorities, but they engage very actively with sustainable brands. And I remember finding a very interesting data. We asked consumers what they participate in when they find out the brand is making efforts on environmental sustainability. And only 14% of Gen Z said that they would do nothing when the percentage rises to over 30%, so twice as much for older generations. So I think there's also an element of generations that come into account when we talk about engaging with sustainable brands. You got onto the topic of age, which is one of the, I guess, common myth, a common misconception about younger people are greener. Are there any other misconceptions like Swedish people are the greenest or anything that you came across that we all hold on to as truth, but maybe you can bust? That's a very good point because overall, I think some of the initial assumptions were confirmed by the survey in the sense that Europe is leading the pack and there is clearly across the different regions, they have the highest proportion of active greens and the US has the highest percentage of non-greens. That said, there were indeed a couple of counterintuitive facts. First of all, I would have expected the share of non-greens to be significantly higher in the U.S., and it seems like there's been a shift over the past two years and an evolution of consumer perceptions. This is not just where data confirming this. I've seen some other data points from Yale University. The percentage of climate skeptics is about 20%, which is pretty much in line with the non-green category that we have. And yes, Europe is leading the pack, but usually there is this, or there has been until now, this idea that Swedish people and German people demonstrated the greenest consumer behaviors in Europe. And when you dig into the data, this is not necessarily true in all dimensions. And in fact, there is a higher proportion of active greens in France and in Southern Europe, in Italy and Spain. 
And some of the Swedish and Dutch consumers have showcased much lower green behaviors than one would have anticipated. So yes, definitely, there are a couple of very counterintuitive facts, which again is a sign that behaviors and attitudes are evolving pretty quickly on this topic. I'd just like to point out that even though we leave something to be desired in terms of being consumers in the U.S., we are buying a lot of crap from Zara and H&M. So it takes two to transact on that one. That being said, I can feel that tide change, but I feel it in a certain economic bracket for sure, where we have the luxury to buy the premium product. The path is just easier for some of us than others. You don't have to feel too guilty, though, because if I remember the data correctly, uh, the British have the biggest gap between what we say and what we do. So we're the most hypocritical when it comes to the environment. You're the most polite. Why, thank you. So I'm curious then, other than um, the obvious brands, like the Born Green brands, who's doing well? Who do we look at for role models so we can get inspiration about how to do this in our own brands? There are a bunch of sustainable born brands that have some startups that were created over the past few years. And obviously it's easier for them in the sense that they have no legacy. But if you look at the more well-known brands, some of them have embarked on a transformation journey and are starting to do a pretty good job at developing greener products and, and really trying to activate sustainability in the customer journeys. I'm thinking of some cosmetic brands, for example, the likes of Yves Rocher, L'Occitane en Provence, to some extent L'Oreal as well, is pretty active on that front. Some of the traditional CPG companies, the likes of Danone, Unilever as well, for some of their brands, have been quite active for quite some time. And if you step back from a consumer perspective, it's because it's no longer an external threat. The damage made to the environment is something they feel in their daily lives. It's about the food they eat. It's about the cream they put on their skin, the apparel they wear. So it's something they get worried about. And that's why some of these brands, I think, are ahead of the curve and are not just finding a purpose. They're really activating this purpose in customer journeys and helping consumers, nudging them to evolve their behaviors, which is, I think, the way forward. Having a purpose is necessary and bold and grand, but it's often very intangible. So what, what is a tangible example of embedding sustainability into a customer journey? Well, it's about, first of all, really deep diving what customers are expecting throughout the customer life cycle. It's about identifying, to Melissa's point earlier, the emotion that they feel at different moments of the journey and what it matters to them the most. Is it about before they're making a purchase? Is it about the moment where they get the product delivered to their home because this has potentially a big impact on climate? Is it about uh, unboxing the product because of the, the, the impact of the packaging? So there are lots of different dimensions to take into account here. Um, so I think that's a good starting point. But I know, Melissa, you've got some examples in mind as well related to that. Yes, there's always one example I like to share with our clients is the one of Zalando, the online retailer. In 2021, they published a report where they measured the gap between what people said and what they were actually doing across 12 dimensions of purchasing, including you know, price, quality, but also sustainability dimensions, such as repair or secondhand. And they found that the gap was actually the widest 
for these sustainability dimensions. So concretely, on the back of that, what it did is add sustainability filters on their website to allow their customers to select the product that is most aligned with their sustainability values, such as I don't know, water conservation or sustainable materials. So it made it more convenient for customers to actually find products that were aligned with their environmental intent. So what are some of the barriers to consumers switching their behaviors to be more green? And actually, how could CX leaders help tackle those barriers? We've identified five barriers to that. Yes, as Thomas said, five barriers that are like the common ones that we've identified in our research. The first one is obviously most common top level price, right? However, what we found in our research is that this barrier is actually not the strongest compared to the ones I'm going to list here now. So the second one is convenience, and we've mentioned a few minutes ago. The third one is knowledge, or rather lack of knowledge and understanding of your own environmental impact. The fourth barrier is performance, and this particularly applies to products that are supposed to be efficient. So like a lawnmower, a razor, a financial investment, we tend to think that these green products are less efficient than normal products. And the last one, which is really not the least, is trust. In our data, we found that only 30% of European adults would trust companies when they say they will commit to climate change. So there's a lot of work to do on that front. Yeah, there's lots of distrust indeed from consumers. More than 50% of them actually uh, think that brands' communications are misleading here. So to the most important barrier that you mentioned, trust, some brands are doing a good job at being transparent and letting consumers access more information. Garnier, which is a brand from L'Oreal, a shampoo brand, is really doing a good job at it because they have rolled out a product called Spot, Sustainability Product Optimization Tool that measures the impact of a product on a number of different dimensions not just the carbon impact, but also the impact on water consumption, the impact on a number of externalities. That's being tracked and it's being made available on packaging through QR codes. There's lots of education so that consumers understand what's at stake. And beyond this, the brand is giving some tips on how to minimize the impact when using the product. So that's one example. Another one that I have in mind that is really about sort of nudging consumers into more sustainable behaviors, um, Decathlon, the sport retailer, they have actually embedded sustainability into their loyalty program so that it's not just about earning points to buy new products. It's also about earning points to make donations for example, for sustainability initiatives, getting points if you bring back some products to be recycled. So there are a number of initiatives that encourage more sustainable behaviors. And there are not that many companies that have integrated this in the loyalty programs and at the advocate stage. These would be two examples, but there are many more in the, the research we've published on that topic. So that has been a fascinating run through the latest research on the green segmentation that's coming out. I know we've got tons more planned in this space. We're looking at the uh, sustainability of the marketing function. We could probably extend that into the CX function. 
We've got a ton of other research on Forrester.com, a lot of which is available on blogs as well to have a look at. Tomorrow, you've just put a blog out about green segmentation. So go have a look for that. There's plenty more. And as always, let us know how this resonates, whether you want more of this. Just remains to be said, thank you, Tamar. Thank you, Melissa, and also Angelina for joining us. See you next time. And thank you to producers Ellie and Julia, without whom none of this would happen. If you want to get in touch, email us at cxcast at forrester.com or message us on Twitter at cx underscore cast. As always, you can find us at www.thecxcast.com or on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to like and subscribe and tune in next time for more CX Insights.